pulling into our number two on the program. This is a Thursday edition of Sportsnet Today. Logan Gordon, Julian McKenzie along with you. You can find Julian on Twitter at JKA McKenzie. Covers the Calgary Flames for The Athletic. You know him, you love him. He's been around all week with us here on Sportsnet Today. Just finished up a chat with Adnan Verk in Hour 1. That'll be up on the podcast in just moments. Podcasts go up every after every hour here on Sportsnet 960. Wherever you get your favorite podcast, Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We're in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Alongside our outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor. Fan feedback line open to you at 960-960. Send us a text on this Thursday. Still lots to go on the program. Arthur Staples going to stop by as we take an off-season look at the New York Rangers. See what they've been up to. Are they still in Stanley Cup contention mode? We'll ask Arthur all about that coming up in a bit. Got a stamps report with Patty Dumas today, getting you set for the stamps and the Lions this weekend. Some healthy bodies back at practice for the stamps, which is good news. And last but not least, you don't want to miss it later on this afternoon. Taylor Dixon, the creator of Puck Doku, Calgarian, joins us to talk about uh, how his website game has taken off and uh, where he expects it to go from here. So we're looking forward to that chat with Taylor coming up a little bit later on. But wanted to start this hour off, Julian, with... uh, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily news but more of a continuation of a story that's been in the Calgary Flames spotlight for a while. And that's Oliver Shillington. Uh, we've known for, I'll say, a little while now that Oliver is has been back skating, back training and preparing for an NHL season this year. And he decided to speak to a Swedish hockey outlet, Hockey News in Sweden, and go into detail for the first time about what kept him out of the season last year. And it's uh, it's in Swedish. The interview's in Swedish. There's a translation uh, further down in the article if you'd like to go read it. It's been retweeted by plenty of us uh, in the Calgary media. But in it, Oliver talks about the mental health issues and the problems in his family that became a priority for him last season and caused him to miss the entirety of last season. And I think it's a very important read or listen. If you want to listen to to the clips of it, it's, it's subtitled in, in English for you. So you can get the translation there and get the gist of what Oliver's saying. But first things first, I'm, I'm so happy that Oliver's in a good place. Uh, it, it was a tough story, and it was one, Julian, I know you got questions about, we all got questions about the people that cover this team, was, is there any update on Oliver? What's going on with Oliver? And Oliver didn't owe it to anybody to come out and tell us what was going on. It was a very personal situation for him, and one that he's clearly now just feeling comfortable talking about. But he's in a good spot now. And to me, that's the most important thing 
in all of this. He reflected back on what was a really challenging year. And one of the quotes he has in this story, Julian, is, quote, it was a very challenging year for me personally. These are things that have been going on in my family for many years, which escalated to get worse. Were mental and psychological problems I suffered from. I think I dealt with the problem like maybe everyone else does by just sweeping it under the rug, putting a lid on it. But for me, it led to mental illness. And I felt very bad about how I dealt with my problems and almost went into the wall and felt that now it's enough. I need to face these problems we had as a family. And today I'm incredibly grateful for this journey I started and then had to finish. Yeah. It's. I think for Oliver to be able to uh, speak openly about uh, the men- about his mental health and what this last year has done for him and, and what he's done to take time to address things for his family and for himself. Uh, I always will give points to someone for that because it's not easy for them to go personal on those stories. This is a story that pretty much since day one of training camp last year, it's been a story for that long. When when Brad True Living, that was my first day of training camp covering the team, plopping into my seat, and Brad True Living answering all these questions. Well, actually, he didn't even answer a question, but I think off the hop, he just said, hey, Oliver Schultz not reporting at training camp. Uh, we ask for privacy at this time. This is a very personal matter. And from that point on, while I think a lot of us wondered, I don't know how many people you know, tried to pry too deep into what was going on. And that sort of amazed me too. And I'm not doing this as a way to just kind of pat the back on, on media or anything like that. It's just, just considering the story and considering how that season went for, for the flames that could have easily been a story that could have gone haywire in terms of how people wanted access to it. But I was fairly surprised at how people in this market were willing to grant that privacy on that front when it comes to Oliver Shillington and to see today where we are August 10th uh, after weeks of, of seeing photos of him on social media, enjoying his life, being on boats and, and, and being shirtless while also uh, skating as well to see him do a full on interview. Uh, I believe the, uh, the Swedish journalist he spoke to Henrik Schoberg uh, had a whole sit down interview with him and he goes in on, on all that. Like it's, it's very much a welcome sight. And I think for for Oliver, the fact that he is in a better place and the fact that he is excited to return to Calgary this season, I think, I don't know if you have a heart if you don't think anything other than this is a good story and this is nice to see. You can feel any way you feel about his playing skill or whatever, but that's not the topic at hand here. I think the fact that he's at a position where he's able to play again and he's able, or he feels he can play again, and he feels he's able to contribute to a team, and he feels he's done enough to address his own mental health and address what's going on with his family, I think that's just, I think there's nothing wrong with being open about rooting for that and and being happy for him. No, there isn't. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's it's commendable in my eyes. Because like I said, even throughout this whole situation and playing in the NHL and all the spotlight that comes with it, I fully believe him and anybody else that goes through mental health problems, and believe me, he's not the only one in the NHL. No. By a long shot. Nope. He doesn't owe us this. But I'm very happy that he's taken the strides and that he feels strong enough to be able to be open about it because that tells me he's in a very good place. But I also think he'll start to see the impact that it has on other people to understand that, 
we always assume, look, he's got lots of money and he's playing in the NHL. Life must be fantastic. What does Oliver Shillington have to complain about? And I think that could be the worst way of looking at it. And just because you have those things doesn't guarantee your happiness or your mental health. And for him to be open and honest, I feel like only opens the door for other people to who feel the same way that Oliver does to understand that it's okay to feel that way and it's okay to seek out help. And it's okay to say no to an NHL year to get your mental health right. Yeah, That to me is the biggest thing. I have zero problem. Not one ounce of me cares that Oliver Shillington missed any time for the Calgary Flames because until he was ready, if he missed two years, until he was ready, then that's what you need to do because this is only a small portion of Oliver Shillington's story, of his life, and it wouldn't feel right for him to come back under any other circumstance. Yep. And from a, a purely hockey standpoint, Julian, I think we're talking about a massive ad to the Calgary Flames back end and the ability to do some really interesting things for Ryan Huska and his coaching staff with Oliver back because he has a skill set, I think, that is almost unmatched on this. I, I think they have good puck movers. I think Mackenzie Weger... Rasmus Anderson are good puck movers, but to me, nobody can do quite what Oliver Shillington can do with his skating ability to get out of trouble, that offensive instinct that he has. To me, that's on a different level and something the Calgary Flames will be very happy to have back on the ice. And and on, and on the surface, at least, it doesn't seem as if you have to put Oliver Shillington in this position where he has to be the guy. Not that he was ever going to be in that position anyway with the way the defense core was looking. But when you consider the fact that he's had that year away, and yes, he's doing whatever he can to keep himself in game shape, but doing that compared to playing regular NHL games, very different course of action, and that's going to take him some time. But if you're able to put him in a situation where you can start him day one on your third pairing, as an example, you have you have Nikita Zadorov to his right, as an example, you know, you're not logging him against the toughest players. You're not giving him the most minutes to start. That's an easy way to ease him into the lineup while also taking advantage of his skill set. Obviously, we we mentioned Rasmus, we mentioned McKen- we mentioned Mackenzie Weger, we did not mention Noah Hannafin because who knows what his future will be in the next little in the next little while. And depending on what that return looks like, that probably affects where Oliver Shillington will get slotted into that lineup. Let's be real, Weger and Anderson, good puck moving players, they played well together. There's a strong chance that those two could start the year playing alongside each other as opposed to what we've seen in the past with Hannafin and Anderson. And then they tried Tanev and, and, and Weger to start off the year last year. That's a, I think there's a still a lot of possibilities when it comes to that defense core, but I, I do agree from a hockey standpoint, um, definitely a good addition to have Oliver back, but I also for those guys in that locker room as well, especially those who've gotten to know him, I'm sure they will appreciate the fact that he's there. I also just want to add one thing before I give Please. you back to Mike here. You mentioned a really important point about the fact that uh, Oliver has all these millions of dollars and people are going to assume, you know, what do you have to complain about? You never know what a person is going through. And I hope that when people look at that situation and they see that he is being forthcoming and being as revealing as he can about his situation, I hope people consider that whether you make a a dollar or a million dollars or $10 million dollars, you know, it's very easy to look at a person's net worth. It's very easy to look at a person's set of money and just assume, well, you know what? You're a bum. And, and hey, look, maybe it's rich coming from me because a couple of days ago I said what I said about Elon Musk. But 
you never know what a person is going through. And I just hope that people consider that with Oliver Shillington and his situation before going online or, or groaning and rolling your eyes and thinking, oh, well, what does he have to worry about? He's got nothing. It's got nothing on my, my situation, insert situation here for anybody who is not on the level or anything like that when it comes to Oliver Shillington, when it comes to his ability or money. And I'm not saying he's better than anybody. I'm just saying that regardless of a person's social status, regardless of their financial situation, regardless of their athletic ability, you never really know what a person is going through. And people should consider that for anybody, not just Oliver Shillington, but in this immediate situation as we are uh, speaking about him. Yeah, you should consider that with him. And don't think that it was easy for him to to stay away from the team either. We're talking about a guy that's very well liked in that locker room that has a lot of good friends that are more than just teammates to him and a guy I know Julian who was at different times, you know, looking at the Flames struggling at different points that year and thinking, "Man, I I, I want to be there. I want to be there, but family's first. Family and yourself have to come first, and it, it's not easy to to say no to the phone calls. I'm sure it wasn't easy, you know, as as Brad and the Flames who did a great job of this entire thing. I want to I want to give them kudos too to how they handled it. There was never, I believe, any pressure on Oliver to come back. That it was all about him being, uh, you know, in a good spot to come back. It's still not easy for him to to stay away from the situation. He loves hockey. He loves the Flames. Uh, he loves his teammates and, and would have wanted to be there. But sometimes you have to make the bigger decision, and that's focusing on yourself, and that's focusing on your family, and that's just, that's being a good person, right? And I give him a lot of credit uh, for that uh, on top of it. So it's great news. I'm really excited to see him back on the ice. Um, you know, Ryan Huska is a guy that I, he's had some time with over the years. Uh, in the Flames organization, so I'm curious how that relationship works. Where would you start him, Julian? You mentioned that Zadorov pairing maybe makes sense to you. Is that where you would start him? Because the last time we saw him uh, having a lot of success was actually with Chris Tanev mm -hmm. uh, in a lefty-righty pairing, and I think a lot of people, myself included, wonder if that's not the optimal place to go back when uh, we see our first D pairings uh, on night one. I think that makes fine that could make a lot of sense obviously i'm speaking from that vantage point of you know only having seen one season of this team but i i can't help but think of the noah hannafin situation and depending on what comes from that i still think that plays a role in wherever you're going to slot uh oliver shillington if it makes sense to put shilly and tanif together because of the history between those two players so be it uh maybe you and if you keep noah hannafin to start the year does hannafin's adorov make sense Maybe that could work. So, yeah, I, I, I still think, though, just because he uh, even if he will do everything he can to get himself up to speed, this is just my guess. I would imagine they would still try to ease him in and, you know, put him in a situation where, you know, he's not getting the top assignments. He's still able to show off his skill, but you're not necessarily playing him like 25, 30 minutes. Like you're not you're, he's not getting top pairing minutes. But I think if you put him in a third pairing situation, your core, I still think I still think that defense core as it is right now, even if they move on from Noah Hannafin, they still have themselves a decent core. And having Shillington there on a third pairing, that's not a bad thing. You know, it, it's better than being a seventh or an eighth defenseman. He's still gonna get quality minutes and considering what the def considering the options that they've added for themselves 
where they're trying to be a lot more creative offensively. I'm sure they're going to want their defense to be solid, but I'm sure they're going to want that defense to contribute as much as they can in the attack. And if they could use a player like Shillington in that, I'm sure he's going to get his opportunities, maybe on special teams as well. But I think to start off, especially if you're going to have Noah Hannafin there, that third pairing spot, maybe on the left side, maybe on the right side, doesn't matter. I think that's probably, that's where I envision him starting, but it could totally look different. It doesn't have to be Zadorov. It could be Tanev, but I, I see him on that third pairing to start, especially if Hannafin's still there. Okay, so let me throw this at you then. Sure. Let's say Noah Hannafin's off the roster yeah, by, he's, he's by moved. training camp. He's moved. And in that deal, there isn't an NHL defenseman in return. How do you line up one through six right now if you're the Calgary Flames? Ooh, okay. I like this. If you're Ryan Huska and Noah Hannafin's not in this situation, in the equation right now. Right. What are your, what's your optimal one through six? Shillington's back. Everyone's healthy and ready to go. How are you lining up your six? Okay. Literally doing this on the fly here. Uyghur Anderson is your top pairing. I agree with that. That I think is you that I think even if Hannafin comes back to start the year, I think that pairing is set in stone. They played well together in the second half of the year. And some people may think, oh, you're putting your two best defensemen together. I think that's not a bad pairing to start off. I think regardless of whatever you do, that's your one, two. If Hannafin is not back. Okay. Just quickly. I, I do agree with that top pairing. The only thing I would say is, and I've been a big proponent of this. I want to find a way to get Mackenzie Weger on the right side. It might not be possible given how many right-handed shots this team has. Yeah. But I'm still, you're right. If if I don't have a natural spot from because Mackenzie Weger needs to play. He could be their best defenseman. I think he can challenge Rasmus Anderson for that spot on this team. Absolutely. He needs to play adequate minutes against the other team's best. I think you're right. That's a strong pairing. Again, I'd like to see Weger get some time on the right side because I think he's uh, naturally a little bit stronger there, and I think in the World Championship showed that again uh, for Team Canada, but I'm with you. I think as of right now, I, I line those two up together as my top pairing. Okay, then that's where it gets tricky after that. You could, if you want to still find a way to ease in Chillington and not put that much pressure, maybe you do Zadorov-Tanev as your second pairing, and then you do Shillington alongside Dennis Gilbert or Jordan Osterley. Because Jordan Osterley is entering camp as seventh defenseman. Yep. Uh, those basically, it's going to be a fight. If you're moving on from Hannafin and you don't have an NHL defenseman coming back, you have basically started a fight for six defensemen and for seventh defenseman in training camp, which opens the door for Osterley and Gilbert to get more playing time and opens up a spot for a guy like Jeremy Poirier to potentially be a seventh defenseman in that situation. Maybe he still needs a little bit more seasoning, but those are the type of battles you create for yourself. Had a yourself. good camp last year, too. He did have a decent camp. He still needs to shore up the defensive side of his game, but I think it's undeniable that he has offensive talent. In that situation, though, I, th- I really would like to see a situation where maybe you start Shillington on a third pairing, but uh, again, not having that experience of seeing Shillington and Tanif together, I could understand if they were to start uh, a second pairing of Shillington and Tanev, and then you have Zadorov on that third pairing, and you have him alongside an Osterley or a Gilbert. We've seen Zadorov play third pairing before. When you had to remember there was a couple games where you had Troy Stetcher yep. alongside him. You can make it work with a smaller defenseman there. 
Uh, so like, if you have to put Zadorov in that situation, so be it. It could work. Maybe Zadorov, Tanev. I'm wondering if that might be a little slow. Is not as if Zadorov. Well, no, Zadorov's not that bad of a skater. Nope. So you could put him. You could put him with Tanev, and you could make it's up just some the speed. one. It's just the one pairing that's never. Yeah, clicked for Chris Tanev in his time here was with Nikita Zadorov. For and you don't have to do that for then. whatever reason, and I think you have other options. Then if you're not going to do that, I'm glad we're able to discuss this openly. By the way, this is a fun process. So if you're gonna, say, so if you're saying Zadorov Tanev doesn't work nearly as well as Shillington Tanev, then you're probably looking at Weger Anderson, Shillington Tanev, and then Zadorov on the third pairing, and then you have Australian Gilbert kind of rotating in, or one of those two grab that sixth spot, and that's your number six defenseman, or if you're not happy with Osterley or Gilbert and you really want those guys as a seventh and eighth defenseman, you go through to the PTO route and you see what's out there or you swing a minor league trade and you get yourself a cheap defenseman to to, to make up the ranks. But Osterley and Gilbert are what you have behind uh, the first five defensemen and you're probably rotating those guys in as your six and seven. Yeah, and I like the idea. I like what you say about easing Shillington back in because it is going to take time. The nice thing is I think a lot of guys might use that same phrasing when playing with Chris Tanev. I think Chris Tanev makes fair. life easy yes. on his D partner. Yes. And I think you don't have to think the game. Is, I'm not saying that you, you just go brain dead and let Chris Tanev do everything, but I think you, you can, you know, you know where he's going to be. You know, he's going to be defensively responsible. You don't have to, Wonder if a blind pass is coming your way. Eight is, you know, he's he's good for everything, and he's one of the most he he's one of the most stable forces on this team on the ice and off the ice. Period. Yeah, and look, I I think that that could be, and knowing that that's where Oliver last played, had his best success as an NHLer. I think a comfortable role for him might just be back with number eight on that pairing, and I'm okay with how Nikita Zadorov has transitioned in his years in Calgary to be okay leading that third pair. And look, even if it is a battle between Osterley and Gilbert or maybe a Nick DeSimone, or as you mentioned, a, a Jeremy Poirier, yeah. um, I don't have a problem with that. I, I like that because I think it kind of fits to what we've heard from Huska and Conroy that there's going to be opportunity. You got to go out and take it. You know, if you're Dennis Gilbert and you're sitting here today at 26, you say, look, I got to beat out Jordan Osterley for a spot. There's a pretty good, you know, um, motivating factor for you heading into training camp, right? Say, look, there's a spot for you. Go out and, and get it. So I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I don't. And look, it's almost the opposite of what, remember last year uh, we were talking about how are they going to find room for all these 10 defensemen? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Oliver was a question mark and he lost use of Alamaki on waivers. And all of a sudden that depth disappeared pretty quickly. And when it looked like there was no spots, all of a sudden you had guys that maybe weren't ready for those spots. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. Yeah. They do look a lot deeper. Again, the Hannafin thing is a big question mark in terms of that depth, but at least on the surface, even if we're, we're putting together a lineup that doesn't have uh, a Noah Hannafin, I don't know. I like that second pairing. If you forget, if, if Shillington's ready to play and you could put him back on that second pairing with Tanev, I don't mind that. I, I like what Zadorov was able to do last year. And if he's able to continue some of that, that could look really good. I maybe I'd like an upgrade on the number six. Like I, I, I it sucks that this team was not able to keep a Troy Stetcher considering in the last few games, I think he was a decent presence. 
I think that would have been an ideal player to have in that spot. Yep, I don't disagree. But I also think Dennis Gilbert, in the little bit of time that he got to play, he was okay. He was serviceable. Uh, I'm not sure about Nick DeSimone yet. He, I think he has some offensive traits. At least he tried to show that off in the AHL. I don't know if he's number seven on the depth chart or number eight. Jordan Austria, I like. I mean, obviously, when we come when it comes time for training camp, we'll get a better look at what he's able to provide. Maybe he's the big wild card in all of this. But other than that, like. I like the top two and I like three, four for this team. And this is a, this is a, this is a team that last year, in spite of the goaltending being bad, there were some strong nights for this defense in terms of chances against, which they were among the best in terms of not allowing that many. It's just that when the chances came through, Jacob Markstrom, unfortunately did not play at a standard they needed him to play at. And the fact that the, 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 the defensive mastermind, of all of that is still on your bench. He's your head coach. I like the flames defense going forward. If there's one side of this team that I'm not as concerned about compared to the goaltending, the Fords, it's the defense. I think the defense is solid enough. I'm not saying it's all world. I can understand the argument like George. I hear George Russick in my ear right now saying <laughs> they don't have a number one defenseman and teams need number one defenseman to go far in the playoffs. I do not disagree. But I think in terms of just having a solid core with what you have, I don't mind what the Flames have. I think they have two guys that can step up to the number one role in Uyghur or Anderson. So. I think Uyghur, I think Uyghur, this week could be on the verge of seeing like his best year as a pro. I think so. I think so. Uh, quickly, you mentioned on the, the free agent class, uh, there's only, according to Cap Friendly, 11 guys that played any games in the NHL last year that are still in the free agent class. And you can actually make it 10 today as Caleb Jones weirdly signed on with the Carolina Hurricanes, who, by the way, saw that, yeah. have like nine guys. That's an insane amount of defense. With NHL experience last year, think, now signed up. I think, and I'm, and maybe you, you th- maybe you think about the Carolina Hurricanes uh, for a trade with Elias Lindholm if you have to go down that road. But that's an that's that's a embarrassment of riches at defense. The Canes are going to have to move somebody. I think if you're the Flames, if you're somebody who's going to be in need of defensive help, we should roll down the list of Canes defensemen that they have because they do have a stacked list. And you need someone who could be a bottom pairing guy. Why not swing a move with the Carolina Hurricanes? That could go for anybody. Yeah. Um, any of these names quickly on the free agent market makes sense. Maybe for you to come into PTO territory. You've got uh, Simon Benoit. Uh, I believe it was a duck last year. Yeah, he was a duck. Uh, 78 games, 10 points, uh, minus 29. So don't love that. I know it's not a no. perfect stat, but uh, he's 24 years old, but a left-hand shot. Uh, Nick Holden played 65 games last year, uh, but it's 36. Alex Edler, 37, mm. but uh, still played 64 games last year. If you want to keep the Canucks connection going. Uh, Ethan Bear is a free agent, but he's dealing with shoulder surgery from the World Championships. Yeah. Then you get to a guy like Nathan Boulot, um, uh, Beaulieu, excuse me. Nathan, Nathan Beaulieu. Beaulieu. I remember Nathan Beaulieu. Uh, still just 30 years old. Played 52 games last year. Scott Harrington played 45 games last year. And then you're into guys under 20 games. Lebor Hijack, Ryan Murray, Jordy Ben, and Jason Damaris only played one game last year. Do any of those guys... Strike you for even a PTO? Is Nicolas Melush still available? Remember him? Remember the Flames had him in camp? There was that day it looked like he might have made the team, and then unfortunately just didn't. 
He just was a, a last second casualty. Mm. He was in that Flames organization last year, 26 years old, a right shooting defenseman. I mean, I'm not saying he should be the guy as a number six, but in terms of showing up your depth, I I wonder, do you bring him back? Simon Benoit looks like an interesting option. He had 10 points last year, as you mentioned. I think he's a bit of a scrapper, too. I'm trying I don't to remember have Melosh signing anywhere. No, he's, I think he's a free agent. Interesting. So maybe you call him back and you see, hey, do you want to come back into the depth of things you had the year with the Calgary Wranglers? Maybe that's an option. I'm not sure. But you're right. There's no one out there that like I think is easily like that is your definitive number six option to this day. Not more enticing than if maybe Ethan Bear was are. healthy. I wouldn't mind. Yeah, if Ethan Bear was healthy, a look, absolutely. You make you you pick up the phone and you say, "Hey, man, we we're going to sign you to approve it one year deal or something like that." But yeah, I, I, when you're dealing with anyone with shoulder surgery, you have to be careful. He's Julian McKenzie. I'm Logan Gordon. That a uh, little bit of a segment on the Flames defense and what's going to look like with Oliver Shillington back in the fold this fall. We will take a break. We will come back on the other side. NHL offseason review continues. Heading out east to take a look at the New York Rangers with Arthur Staple. That when we're back on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Rolling on an hour two this afternoon. It's Logan Gordon and Julian McKenzie along with you. Still to come on the program, we've got a stamps report with Patrick Dumas coming up. And a fun chat about the creation of Puck Doku. But right now, kicking off this segment, continuing our NHL offseason in review, flying around all 31 NHL cities to get a catch-up on what's happened in their respective off-seasons. Today, taking a look at the New York Rangers, and very happy to welcome in from the Athletic, Arthur Staple joining us this afternoon. Arthur, thanks for the time today, sir. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing really good, thank you. Uh, interesting off-season for Chris Jury and company after that round one upset uh, at the hands of the New York, uh, the New Jersey Devils, excuse me. Uh, how would you characterize the work that Chris Jury got done in these last couple of weeks? You know, I think uh, I, I think he did what he needed to do with with the space that he had. There wasn't a lot of big swings. Um, you know, it, it was more about filling roles and trying to. I think have some more defined roles. New coach and Peter Laviolette coming in. New coaching staff. You know, systems don't really change from coach to coach, but I think with Laviolette, there's going to be a little bit more of an emphasis on on playing without the puck, on uh, being a little bit better team defense-wise, and so you saw that reflected in some of the forwards they brought in. Nobody that's going to blow you away. I mean, Blake Wheeler is obviously a big name, and, and Jonathan Quick just won his third Stanley Cup, even though he didn't have to do a whole lot to do it with Vegas, but... Uh, but these are guys that are kind of on the downslope of their careers, and they took uh, way less money, league minimum, basically. Uh, you know, guys like those two and Nick Bonino, uh, Tyler Pitlick. Not a lot of sexy names, not any of the big names that you see the Rangers have acquired at the deadline over the last couple of years. But uh, but guys, I think Peter Laviolette wants to sort of spread his message of we're going to be a little bit better without the puck, a little bit more aggressive on the forecheck, and not rely so much on these on the on the really good high end guys the Rangers have. Laviolette is is taking over for Gerard Gallant, who basically got out coached in that first round series loss against New Jersey, and just can't help but think of your reporting afterward, where some guys on that team really were at their final straw with Gerard Gallant, and this is a guy who had that reputation as a players coach. So for it to get to that point. I know for myself, I was stunned and, and very surprised 
at that. What do you know about Peter Peter Laviolette with regards to his relations to his players and how he connects with them? You know, I think he, he's not really seen as a player's coach. He is he is demanding. He is uh, you know he he does have his ways of doing things and and insists on doing them. Just from talking to guys who have played for him over the years. Um, but he does foster a pretty good atmosphere in the room. Um, he does want guys to be around and, and have it be, uh, you know, families involved and things like that. He, he does take uh, pains to make sure he knows what's going on in guys' lives. And uh, I think that's something that, that is appreciated. You know, even some of the stops where it didn't quite work out as well as it did when he won a Stanley Cup in Carolina back uh, almost, you know, 20 years ago now. Um but I think the, the accountability part, the, the structure part, um, maybe was something that started to, to drift a little bit under Gallant. You know, it's, it's not a it, – they do have a pretty strong captain in Jacob Truba. And essentially, you know, he was, he was captain for the first time last year, but he was essentially the captain the year before when they went to the Eastern Conference Final. Um, but their veterans are, are, not, uh, are not really, like, forceful – guys in the room they're not they're not guys that are going to stand up and, and drag everybody into the fight um and galana is really a guy who leaves the room to the players so i think this change maybe was something that some of the players who've been here a little bit longer who who uh, are good leaders by example but maybe not the vocal kind you know peter laviolette is a vocal guy i think everybody's seen some of the, you know, road to the winter classic videos that have been out, uh, you know, him giving speeches in the caps room. And that was, you know, didn't really have a very successful run there, but those are the kind of things that give you goosebumps when you watch them. And I think that's more the way that a lot of people fans certainly think of what a traditional coach should be. Someone who can be that kind of motivator, uh, who can maybe make some demands when he need to. Um, and I think with Galan, even though it was only a couple of years, it just, uh, you know, there was some fraying in the relationship between him and Chris Drury. So I think that was kind of the main impetus for a change. And, and I think the players may be craving a little bit more structure, a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more uh, defined roles. So I think, uh, I think that led to Laviolette. And like I said, kind of led to some of the guys they brought in on July 1. One other situation I'm curious about, uh, the situation involving Alexis Lafreniere, the number one overall pick for the New York Rangers back in 2020, coming off three seasons where, even very mid they're they're not at the pace you'd expect for a number one overall pick yes maybe he could have used a little bit more seasoning in junior but again a number one overall pick the expectations that are attached to that type of player you expect a little bit more when it comes to his statistics for those who have not been following that situation from your vantage point art why has it been mid so to speak using millennial language here when it comes to Alexis Lafreniere and his situation what could be his future with the organization you know, it's uh, there's a lot of factors. You know, I, I think a lot of a lot of people it, it'd be easier if it was just one thing. If it was just the player, maybe not uh, being what everybody thought he was going to be, or the organization not developing uh, a number one pick very well, or you know, some other uh, thing that you could just point to and say, "This is it. This is why he hasn't broken out yet." But uh, but it's a lot of things, you know. And I think he was kind of the you know if any team was going to select someone else in that number one spot, you'd think it was the Rangers because they knew they had Artemi Panarin. They had Chris Kreider. They've got guys on the left side that were going to be blocking this kid the minute he came in. Um, but they went ahead and picked him. They thought it, it could, you know, at the time, David Quinn, they could sort it out. And Gerard Gallant, you know, he, he's gotten some opportunities. He's had some good runs. You know, I think 
uh, in the 2022 run to the Eastern Conference Final. That was the best that he's played. Um, the numbers weren't particularly gaudy, but just the way that he played, he was he was physical. You know, you saw him wrestling with Steven Stamkos at the end of Game 5 in that Eastern Conference Final. He was engaged, and uh, I think that was the player that everybody thought he could be. And Last season was a bit of a step back at times, but uh, but some of the numbers are okay. 19 goals, all at even strength, you know, doing it without any power play time because the Rangers have such a good top power play unit. Um, it's been a lot of fits and starts. So, uh, you know, some of it is definitely the organization. Some of it is Lafreniere himself not really, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and saying, I need to be in a top six role, whether it's switching over to the right side from his natural left side where he wasn't terribly comfortable making that switch or, or just kind of demanding a little bit more of himself and a little bit more of his situation uh, so far. And, you know, you see him now, he's still unsigned. Uh, I don't get the sense that there's any issues there between the team and the player. Um, you know, as I had reported, the Rangers refuted it, but I, you know, I'd heard uh, around the draft that they were open to listening to, to what some other teams wanted. If there were any offers out there, I don't think they got anything that was even close to what they'd consider. Um and obviously, they, you know, they feel like they need to keep him because that's where the value is. If he can break out, you know, it's going to be a one or two year bridge deal for sure. Coming uh, coming for him at a pretty low number for a guy who's a uh, number one overall pick on a second contract. But but uh, it does seem like he's going to just have to eat it and, and come in and with a new coach is third already in his fourth season and say, I'm going to. Uh, have a clean slate with with Peter Laviolette and make sure that I can uh, you know I can excel and and put them in a, you know put myself in a situation where they can't keep me down and keep me to twelve or thirteen minutes a night. Uh, just curious here uh, in terms of uh, you know that scenario where the Rangers were trying to shop uh, Alexi Lafreniere, what do you think the Rangers would have wanted for him? I mean, it's it's so hard to say. I, I can't imagine it was anything where they got to a point of. of you know, thinking about a concrete return, I'm sure it would have to be a first-round pick. You you really think it wouldn't be a situation where they trade him to you know a, a contending team? Uh, you'd probably see it, you know, in a hypothetical world, go, him going to a team that's kind of on the rise that has some cap space that can give him the kind of minutes that uh, you know Tim Stutzla, who was picked right behind him, got in Ottawa and turned into an all-star in the last year. Uh, a guy who is getting 20 minutes a night and is getting top power play time, uh, play center versus the way versus Lafreniere playing the wing. But but you know you 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 luck into a situation it seems where the Rangers win the lottery and they're a team that's on the rise coming out of their their uh, you know three or four year uh, sell off. Um, and you think it's a great thing, and obviously making the playoffs is the goal, but it's not always the best for the personal development of, of a high-end skilled player. So um, if that were to happen, if they were going to go down that road in the future, um, yeah, I think you know, you'd be looking at an Anaheim or uh, even an Ottawa, somebody like that, maybe Montreal in his hometown. I'm not so sure that that uh, – Jeff Gordon was the guy that drafted him, so he knows plenty about him as well. Um, so that's the kind of – deal i would think it's all very hypothetical at this point they want to keep him they want to see him grow um they're not a young team anymore especially up front and they certainly would could use his youth and his exuberance and his size and all the things that he that made him that number one overall pick arthur i'm really curious about blake wheeler you mentioned him as probably the biggest name value that the rangers added this offseason he's 36 years old now he's a former captain in this league he still had 55 points in 72 games last year with the Jets, what kind of role 
do you see him taking on with this Rangers team next season? You know, it's interesting that he picked the Rangers uh, out of the teams after after Winnipeg bought him out. Um, you know, obviously the money wasn't an issue for him, but uh, but the chance to win is probably big. And I think the chance to play a key role on the right side, we were you know, mentioning Lafreniere, the Rangers on the right side are, are incredibly thin. You know, Capo Caco plays the right side. He hasn't even really been able to establish himself in a top six role. That's the reason they brought in Vladimir Tarasenko. That's the reason they brought in Patrick Kane to try to beef up that right side at the end of last season. It didn't work out. They didn't have the money to kind of make a big swing like that. So Blake Wheeler is, is a good value add. Uh, you could see him playing anywhere from Mika Zibanejad's right side on the top line, maybe on at, or with Vincent Trocek or with Philip Heedle. I think any of those top three lines, uh, he's a guy who could fit in there. And obviously, I don't know that he's going to get much power play time with a group that still has Zibanejad and Chris Kreider and Adam Fox and Artemi Panarin and probably Vincent Trocek in the bumper spot. But but Wheeler could still put up some decent numbers playing with those guys. And I think even at 36, going to be 37 in a few weeks here, um, he's still a guy who, who I think can take the message of a coach and bring it to the room. And, and like I said, you know, the, the adjustment period is going to be, could be a little rough for some of the longtime Rangers. They've been through multiple coaches. Like I said, systems aren't that different, but I think Laviolette makes sure that his system is played the way that he wants it, and it's going to be aggressive on the forecheck, and I think Blake Wheeler has experienced that under Paul Maurice uh, in past years, and uh, you know, I imagine that he can be a guy that can carry that message to the room, and, and still a guy who can who can bring it a little bit on the ice, no matter you know whether it's top line or whether it's third line, it's, it's a wide open spot on the right side, so uh, there was a need, and, and he's able to fill it at a pretty cheap price. Considering the additions that the Rangers have made, the changes overall that they've made in the offseason, in comparison to what's been going on in Carolina, in comparison to what's been going on with New Jersey, uh, some uh, defenseman was just recently acquired by the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think his name is uh, Eric Carlson. That's his name. I think so. You get the idea. There's been some changes with some big teams in the Metro Division, Art. Where do you think the New York Rangers stack up in comparison to some of those teams? Um, you know, they have the factor that, that can, you know, flip as, you know, flip the standings and that's, they have the best goalie probably of those four teams, um, in Igor Shesterkin and, and he's been playing at such a high level, you know, he, he dipped a little bit last year. He probably wasn't, you know, I'm sure if you asked him, he'd be very hard on himself with the way he played against the devils, uh, in the playoffs last year. But this is still a guy who maybe his good friend, Ilya Sorokin with the Islanders is the only other goalie in the Eastern conference who can match him save for save at this point. Um, so that, you know, you get 55 or 60 games of Igor Shesterkin playing at a high level. You've got a chance to win a division or finish second or third and, and the playoffs don't really feel quite as fraught. And, uh, you know, they have such high end players. They have the guys that have been together a long time now on that top power play unit, which, which can be really deadly. Um, you've got Adam Fox, a perennial Norris Trophy candidate. You've got Panarin, even though he seems to disappear at times in the playoffs, he's still a 90-point guy in the regular season. Chris Kreider backed up that 52-goal season two years ago with 36 last year. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy even at his, his age in his 12th season. He's he's still playing at a high level. Zibanejad too. Vincent Trocek probably will, I think, find a little bit more comfortable home under Laviolette with a little bit more defined role. 
you've got Philip Heedle, who's a 20-goal scorer. These, they've got real high-end guys. Keandre Miller, um, 43 points last year with basically zero power play time. You know, they've got seven or eight guys that I think can stack up against any, any of the top-end guys on Carolina or Jersey. Carolina and Jersey, I think, go a little bit deeper. Uh, they play at a higher pace than the Rangers do, and that, you know, that's certainly good for uh, regular season factor, and it certainly was a difference maker for the Devils in that playoff series once they turned it on after they fell behind two games to none. But I don't think the Rangers feel like they can't compete with these teams. You know, Pittsburgh missed the playoffs last year. They didn't get any younger. Uh, they still have question marks in goal and on defense in terms of their own their own end. Islanders uh, really just, you know, the, the Kings are running it back. They barely made any changes, it seems, uh, other than the big trade they made for Bo Horvat in the middle of last year. Um, so, you know, it, it does seem like it's a five-team race. And, and then you look over at the Atlantic Division, you know, are Boston and Florida going to be as good as they were? Hard to say. Uh, Tampa might be slipping a little bit. Those other teams are on the rise. So um, I think the Rangers feel good about where they are. Uh, the mandate is not just make the playoffs anymore after the after the four-year absence, but uh, but after they went to the conference final two years ago, uh, they, I think from on high, from ownership, from man, from front office, it's we got to try to win a Stanley Cup. And uh, they did get older with the guys that they added, but but I think. You know, Chris Jury knows what he's doing. He's leaving himself some some flexibility to start building cap space as the season goes along. Whether it's Patrick Kane, at, you know, back being healthy in the in November, December, wanting to come here, or they can explore the, the trade deadline market. Vladimir Tarasenko's on a one-year deal in Ottawa. If they're not in the playoffs, he, I'm sure he would love a reunion here. Um, so I think there's there's some flexibility and there's also some quality. So uh, you know, I think this is still a team that's very much in the mix. And once you get to the playoffs. Uh, you know, under a coach like Laviolette, a little bit more motivation, a little bit more structure. Uh, you know, I think they feel like they're in a good spot. I guess just lastly on that that note about Shesterkin, Arthur, is there any pressure you feel on this organization to get something done significantly in the playoffs, whether it be another trip to the conference finals or a Stanley Cup win with Shesterkin on such a team-friendly deal the next two years? I mean, I know the cap's going to start to go up, but you're talking about you know, a Vesna caliber guy at 5.6 million that doesn't come along all that often. No, you know, I, I, I think they feel like he's, he's their guy. And, and the fact that he backed up, you know, the, one of the all time great NHL seasons two years ago with a, with a pretty solid 22, 23. I think they feel like this is a guy who's, who's hitting his stride and, you know, may not make for a very comfortable contract negotiation starting next summer, but, uh, you know, I think you see what Ilya Sorokin signed for, uh, you know, eight and a half million. If Shesterkin gets somewhere eight and a half, nine, as the cap's starting to go up and the Rangers have a little flexibility with some of their other contracts, I think they'll consider that a win if they can keep this guy under 10 million. And, and the trend seems to be with goalies, uh, you know, you're not going to go the Bobrovsky route, even even for a guy like Shesterkin, who's the backbone of this team. Maybe Maybe things will change if they have another successful season this year, and he's the main reason for it. Um, but uh, but I'd be curious to see how that goes and and what other moves that have to make to kind of uh, start to retool a little bit because like I said now you're looking at you've got Heedle you've got Lafreniere you've got Kako those are guys that are under 25 but that's it up front everybody else is uh, is over 30 or just about there um, so they're going to have some decisions to make I think the window is definitely this year uh, maybe next year if Shesterkin they can extend Shesterkin at a friendly number and start to 
shuffle a little bit of their their older guys or their their more onerous contracts out and get a little bit younger, then they can kind of you know retool on the fly. Um, but it is it is interesting how much change with that Eastern Conference final run that maybe people felt was like a kind of a year ahead of their schedule that uh, has kind of piqued the interest of, of owner James Dolan. And, and I think he's a guy who loves to go for it. That was, you know, Chris Jury is on the same page. That's why they got Tarasenko and then got Kane. And maybe that was a bit of overkill. But, you know, I can't imagine if they're in a good position and they've got cap space going on the deadline this year, it'll be the same thing. This is the Rangers. They don't, there's no half measures here. So uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see how long that window stays open and, and how much of it, you know, how much a part Shesterkin and his new contract will play in that. Arthur, great to chat with you. Really appreciate the time, as always. Uh, thanks for doing this today. Enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll chat again once hockey season comes around. Thanks, Art. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Arthur Staple joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline covering the New York Rangers for the Athletic and some great stuff there from Arthur. I liked your question, Julian, on where they stand in that division. A lot of teams around them telling you, making man, some big moves. It's stacked over there. Are they better than the Carolina Hurricanes? I'm not sure. Are they better than the Islanders? I'm a little bit more convinced of that, but I loved Arthur's point. Big Stapes. He knows Igor Shosturkin's the best goaltender in that division. Ilya Sororkin might be number two. Actually, maybe not might. I think he is number two. But Igor Shosturkin, as that number one goaltender, you know, I, that still matters in some respect, even though we're in a world where maybe the quality of goaltender doesn't necessarily matter. But at least to get you through to the playoffs, you need Igor playing at a high level. No, last year, a little bit up and down for him. But if the Rangers want to get back to where they want to get back, they need him to play well. I'm just curious what happens with so many of these young guys, too, because I don't know how you fit in a Kako contract or a Lafreniere contract with any sort of length. Ryan Lindgren comes up next year. He's 25 years old. Uh, he's got arm rights. Braden Schneider is an RFA next year. You've got some young guys that have helped you out on cheap contracts, but Panarin's got this year and two more. Big extension for Zabanishad. Big extension for Trocheck. Kreider's got three more years after this year. You, you've got some long-term money on the books for some of these players already. Mm -hmm. You have to hope that cap is for sure going up, and you have to look at that window that you have where you've had Kreider for quite some time. He's, what if, he's, he's what if Kapo Kako goes off this year? What if he has a breakout year? Can you afford him anymore? You have to. I make don't know some, if you can. I don't know. You might have to. You might have to make that move for for someone else to take Lafreniere a lot sooner than you think, as an example, yep. to prevent you that situation from making it worse. Again, you're hoping that cap goes up to kind of alleviate some of that stress, or you make that move uh, and you try to get assets for Capocaco. Maybe you do. I don't know. I think that's a very intriguing time for Chris Jury as general manager of the New York Rangers, but they need to do well this season. Uh, that's hour two in the books. Thank you to Arthur Staple once again for joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. When we come back here on Sportsnet today, we'll get you all caught up on the Calgary Stampeders. Some healthy bodies back at practice for them ahead of their matchup with the Lions on Saturday. And uh, a look at uh, Puck Doku with its creator, Taylor Dixon. I've been waiting, waiting for <laughs> I've been waiting for this conversation all day. We're really excited to bring that to you. That's coming up in hour three. Sportsnet today rolls on here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.